0: I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I can't wait to ask questions and let you really show your area of expertise, which is helping uh, special education teachers with paraprofessionals. And so would you mind just starting out by telling the listeners kind of, what you do, who you serve, and how long you've been teaching. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, thank you, Amanda, for having me. I'm so excited to be on someone else's podcast. I'm usually on the other end of of doing the the questions, so it's kind of a different experience for me. But, yeah, I am Jennifer Hofferber, and I teach K-5 special education in Kansas. I actually live in Oklahoma, but I drive across the border to a larger district, and my co-teacher and I, Mindy, have been teaching together for 27 years, running a resource room. We have seven seven paraprofessionals who work alongside us, and I have a business where I teach other special educators how to effectively manage their paras who work in their departments through courses, a podcast, and I am a TPT seller. Um, I am wife to Kevin and mom to two daughters, one who just finished college and wants to be an occupational therapist, and one who is in college and will be applying to vet school soon.
0: Wow, that's exciting. So you wear many, many hats is what I'm hearing.
1: (laughs) Yes, very many.
0: Um, So why don't you tell us, how do you build relationships? I feel like a good working relationship starts with, um, you know, knowing them and, knowing their strengths and weaknesses, kind of how do you do that with your paraprofessionals?
1: Well, this definitely is my niche area. Whenever I was, um, I was named to the teacher of the year team in 2015 for the state of Kansas. And that was my platform, I guess, is really focusing on paraprofessionals. And so I made it my mission to start doing a better job of this and so when we get a new paraprofessional we really take the time to get to know them we do this through surveys and questionnaires and giving them a lot of time to observe us and to watch everything that's going on before actually throwing them you know to the wolves so just getting to know them as a person, getting to know their strengths and their weaknesses and being able to support them through all of that. I think that's very beneficial in starting to build those relationships.
0: How many paraprofessionals do you have on your team? Maybe even like right now versus, you know, that number sometimes changes depending on the year and the caseload. What does that look like for you?
1: Well, currently we have seven. We've had as many as nine. Um, I I used to work in a school that had three teachers instead of, you know, just the two. But right now we have seven. Um, that's generally about what we have, you know, five, six, seven. When you're running a resource room and you're doing a lot of inclusion, you do seem to need a lot more staff. But um, I feel very blessed, you know, that we're always, our administration always makes sure that we have the the people that we need. You know, other departments might not, you know, have what they need, but I feel like our administration has always been supportive of, making sure that we have the staff that we need.
0: That's good. It it really makes all the difference in the world, having the right people in the right places. So yes, that's wonderful to have admin that supports that. So how do you begin training them? And you know, you get to know them, you know, their strengths and weaknesses, things like that. But how do you actually train them? What do you do?
1: Well, that's something I had to learn, because when I first started teaching 27 years ago, I had not had any training whatsoever in this area, probably like most special education teachers, if not all of them. But it's, it's something I had to learn. And I used to just give them a schedule and say, here you go. And that is totally the wrong way to do it. So I did develop a paraprofessional handbook, and that's what I use now to train them. And it goes through everything from from teaching them about the different disabilities to, you know, going over the actual school day to looking at all the different expectations that we have in the department and training them on how to, you know, do this job effectively. Cause there's so many different pieces of special education from, you know, prompting, prompting hierarchies to, um, you know, behaviors. There's just so many different pieces of it. And so the binder that I created breaks all that down into 14 different areas. And so we, we don't go over every single thing right at once, but we do sit down for a good 30 minutes when they're starting and we just, you know, kind of lay it all out there for them and that's been very very beneficial for us when we're when we get a new para.
0: Oh my goodness. I bet that sounds valuable honestly even to new teachers. New special education teachers would benefit from that as well. Um even the prompting hierarchy, all those things are valuable things that many of us were not taught. It was just something that either we learned the hard way or in our years since we've been to a training or heard this or that. So that just sounds incredibly valuable.
1: Yeah, it it has been. It's been such a blessing. I started using one that I just found online and it was just you know a few pages long. And that was the beginning of me thinking through this product. And I remember when I finally was like, Oh my gosh! This is what I need to create, and this is what, how I need to teach. It wasn't about creating a product to sell. It was about creating a product that I was going to use every single day in my classroom. And so I remember sitting in front of the TV with my husband, and just, you know, just oh my gosh, my brain was just going, 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 and I just kept writing things and and you know, expanding it and expanding it. And it was just such it's such a um, it's my baby, you know, it's such a. A heartfelt product that I created for myself. And so I know that, and like you said, it is so beneficial for other teachers and paraprofessionals alike.
0: Yes, that's amazing. Wow. Good for you. And I'm sure that is a labor of love. You know, it's just a lot of work, a lot of ideas and revising and adding to it. So that is absolutely amazing. Um, My next question is kind of more, do you have one binder that it stays in your room? It sits there all the time and you reference it, or do you make a binder for each paraprofessional that you have?
1: Yes, every paraprofessional has their own binder. And so when we go through they're all they're all identical, but you know, of course their schedules are different. And then if they work with different types of children, um, we might go into training more in depth and that's where it gets kind of specific to each para, but it all looks the same and we go through them together at the beginning of every single year. Even if that para has been with me for five, six years, we go through that binder again at the beginning of the year, you know, all the way through it. And we go over um, the expectations. We go over the confidentiality piece. There's some pieces that I want their signatures on. I want them to know that this is important to me and you know, that's, those are the biggest pieces. And then throughout the year, we'll dig into some of those other things as they come up.
0: That's great. How do you set clear expectations? I feel like there are lots of different personality types of our assistants and things like that. How do you set the expectation so that they know, um, you know, what what you're wanting every day?
1: I, I absolutely believe that it needs to be hard, paid, a hard piece of paper, a hard copy, and you're listing out your non-negotiables. You're listing out the things that you're not going to budge on. So if you want that to be, you know, um, I want you to be on time every day. You're going to put that in there. If you say, I want you to stay out of the teacher's lounge so that you're not, you know, being tempted to break confidentiality. If I want you to always follow your schedule and be where you're supposed to be at all times. I have like 15 different things on my expectation list and mine might look different than yours. And that's perfectly fine. But by, by having them initial each, each individual expectation, then they know that that's important to me. And they know that that's something that they really need to follow. And then if they're not following it, then it's so easy to come back to it and say, Hey, remember when we signed this expectation page, you know, you agreed to this, this, and this, and this isn't happening. So we really, need, we really need to get back on track. So it's not something that you have to use as a punishment. You're just using it as a reminder. And I like to tell my staff that, you know, you're, you're traveling down a highway and you see that, that speed limit sign over and over again. They don't just post it once. And so I tell them that I know that they're going to make mistakes, but we've got to just remind them every now and again of the expectations.
0: That is a fabulous analogy, seriously, because we all know that that speed limit might be 55, but that doesn't mean that we don't push it a little (laughs) bit and need a little check. (laughs) So that is a great analogy. Um, So at your school, I'm sure it's different everywhere. How would you handle somebody who is not meeting those expectations? What would you do?
1: Well, we definitely have had those situations and for the most part, we're able to, you know, have those little chats and, um, I'll get into the the evaluations in a minute, but there are, there are paras who are not cut out for this job. And so it's, it's good to keep, keep a, a watch for that quickly. And so that you can, you know, have those hard conversations of maybe this isn't the right place for you. And hopefully I always have had um, supportive administration who can help me out with that. But, you know, just being able to document and to know that maybe this isn't the right place for them is always good to keep a handle on. But I do an evaluation every quarter, every nine weeks of my paras. And that's not, I've had a lot of feedback, you know, on Instagram and and social media about how I shouldn't be evaluating paras. And it's not anything that's formal. It's not anything that goes into their permanent file. It's just a rubric and I use it every nine weeks to keep a keep a temperature, I guess, of how they're doing and where their weaknesses are and where their strengths are. And my paras ask for that. They're like, do you have our evaluations yet? And so letting them know what they're doing well and letting them know what they need to work on helps me know, you know, if, if things are if problems are arising so that we can, you know, hit on them early instead of letting them build and build and build until I'm frustrated to the point where I just like, I just, I need this person to move on and I, I don't like to get there. So I like to be able to, you know, help the situation before bad things happen.
0: So what kinds of things are on your evaluation? That intrigues me so much.
1: Well, I give them to the general education teachers that they're going into inclusion for. That's part of it. And they're just asked questions. Um, Are they, you know, showing up on time? Are they working effectively with the students? Are they, you know, are they causing any issues in your classroom? Are they using the strategies that they've been given? You know, are they um, cooperative with you as a, as their leader or as their, um, teacher at the, at the time. So just a whole bunch of different things. And it's on a rubric. So where, you know, they can get a one, two, three, or four. And so as long as they get a three or a four, um, Mindy and I are completely happy. And we tell them, you know, we're great with this. If they get a three and they want to get a four, that's on them. They need to look at the rubric and to, you know, implement some of the things on there in a better manner to, to help them move up. Now if they're in a 1 or 2 then we will definitely have, to have a sit down conversation about why they were scored here, what they think that they can do better, do they think it was fair? You know, sometimes a teacher might they might have a conflict of personality and not just, you know, the teacher might not care for them as a person. So we always take that into consideration and we never use this information as a as a decision of whether we're going to fire somebody or not. That's definitely not what this is about. It's just to help them grow. And then we also have a self-evaluation piece where they can, you know, think about their own strengths and weaknesses and let us know on that end of it. But, you know, it's just, um, so they might, some paras might have one evaluation, some some of them might have five or six during a nine weeks. And so it's just, they, like I said, they like those. And I don't think it's something that's negative. I don't ever want it to feel like, you know, it's, it's something that's a punishment. I want it to be used as a, um, growth, um, piece.
0: I mean, just hearing that your parents, I guarantee grow so much more than mine or those in my building because they are receiving feedback. Like, okay, I know I do really well at this, but Ooh, if three out of four teachers that I work with are saying X, Y, or Z, then those are things to work on. So that really, I think is a very powerful tool.
1: Yeah, it definitely has been.
0: Yeah, and if you've got the right people in the right places, they want to grow. They want to learn. They want to find out how they could better serve and support our kids. So that's wonderful.
1: And a lot of times our parents don't know what they don't know. You know, they've never received training like we have. And so they're like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to be doing things this way. Or I didn't know about that prompting hierarchy. Or I didn't know that I shouldn't you know, open a, a carton of milk for them. I didn't know those things. So it is all about growth. And I want my parents to be in that growth mindset to be able to, you know, want to improve.
0: Exactly. That is wonderful. Um, do you feel like even some of this has helped you hire paraprofessionals? Have you, um, over the years, it- through all those evaluations and things, I'm sure you have qualities maybe that you've noticed that you do or that you don't want. Has that helped with hiring or maybe you don't even have any control over that? So,
1: Well, I don't. My my assistant principal, she does the hiring, but she knows what we're looking for. And so she can kind of filter those out a little bit. And then she, you know, she lets us, she turns them over to us and we are able to you know, before they're actually officially hired, we're able to let them see, you know, a special education classroom is not for everyone. And so we let them see what their day is going to look like. We let them shadow us and, you know, shadow the other paras just so that we, they know that you know, they, they have an out if they want to. You know, if, if they don't feel that this is for them, then we definitely don't want to do all that training up front. So we give you know, them a, a little bit of time to be able to decide for sure if this is what they want to do. And then we go into the training from there.
0: Um, what happens? We all have, you know, maybe a difficult paraprofessional or, um, you know, maybe a relationship even between a general ed teacher and a para what do you do when things aren't going well?
1: Well, I've had to learn this, you know, the hard way because I, I want everyone to be happy all the time. And it's, it's hard for me to have those difficult conversations. It's not hard for me anymore after 27 years, but you know, for a long time I was scared to, to approach anyone. And so I would let things go and let them fester and, and, get really bad. So now I just, you know, I just nip it in the bud. I'm just very blunt. And I just have, you know, what I call courageous conversations with people and say, how can I help this situation? What do we need to do to make things good so that we can all, you know, do our jobs? Because you might not like somebody, they might not like you, but you have a job to do. And we've got to, we've got to get through it. So just courageous conversations is the term that I use a lot. And just, you know, just flat, having a talk about what's going on is important.
0: Do you have any tips to a people pleaser like myself for like, I don't like confrontation. I, and then in some cases I feel like, well, I'm not their boss. Am I the person to say this, but I don't want to go tell the principal, you know, that that's hard. So sometimes it's like, well, I could delicately tell them so that it doesn't make it to the principal or it. it, What's your advice there, I guess, is what I'm getting at.
1: I don't take anything to the principal unless I absolutely have to. I want to address it myself. And so I guess just having the courage to do it. I know that being a people pleaser is a good thing. It's, you know, but there are times when you're just going to have to just bite the bullet and, and, you know, have those conversations and whether you're, you're not the boss. of, Are you talking about the teachers or the paras?
0: Well, I mean, I think like with my Paris or Paris that I've had in the past, there are things where it's like, am I or am I not your boss? Like, you know, I didn't hire you and I sure can't fire you, but, but you know, we've got to work together. I, I, I don't know. It's just hard when sometimes I feel like I'm not, I'm not the boss.
1: Yeah, and I I don't like that term boss. I actually just had a podcast episode on this. I don't like the term boss. I like the term leader. I am their leader of the department and, you know, I'm their supervisor during the day. I'm not their official boss. You know, I agree. I didn't hire them and I can't fire them, but they are working within my department and I want my department to run smoothly and I want it to to operate as a team. And so when you're setting those expectations up, you know, from the beginning and you're training them right from the start, then those issues sometimes just work themselves out and you don't have as many problems as you would otherwise.
0: There you go. That's a wonderful answer and really h- could help look at the long term. Look at, you know, a lot of front-loading with some of that training will avoid 10-year problems of, oh, she's been here for 10 years, and that's just the way she does it. No, it's it's not. You've been trained well in advance, and you know what the expectation is.
1: I actually had a teacher, um, you know, that was, she didn't, hadn't been with us for a long time, and she didn't, you know, operate the way that Mindy and I did. And I had to talk to her. And that was, that was really hard because I'm definitely not her boss or her leader, but I wanted the, I wanted the whole department to operate. So we had to have a a courageous conversation and say, you know, this isn't the way that, um, that we do things, you know, this isn't the way that we want this department to operate. And so we had to have that tough conversation that wasn't with a parent was with an actual teacher.
0: Which is hard because I don't know about you. I want my program to be top notch, respectable to, you know, to everyone in our school or district. And you're only as strong as your weakest link. And so you've got to really work at building that, that team. And, and that's wonderful. I like that term too. Courageous conversations. Sometimes we need to have courageous conversations. Um, So that's kind of focusing on the negative. What about the positive? What do you do when you just have really great paras? How do you reward them? How do you praise them? What does that look like for you?
1: Oh, that's hard because you financially, you know, things you want to, you want to give them everything you want to, you want to provide them with the world. And so it's hard to know what to do, but I think just little, little affirmations of what they're doing well. Um, we buy pizza for our staff or pops, you know, we bring donuts just to let them know that we truly appreciate everything that they do. Um, we laugh a lot, you know, we, we take time to eat together, you know, once or twice a month where we're all just eating, you know, we bring in, um, potluck or whatever. And we're just spending time as a group. And I think that helps them know how much they're appreciated is just when you're, you're giving them your time, um, instead of just always providing something, you know, monetary.
0: And really to me builds like a team and a camaraderie and like, it just, it's special even on the worst days or the hardest days we still love one another and we get along and, and things are good. So yes, I, those are great ideas. Um, so if you said seven Paris, right. Plus two teachers. Yeah. How do you stay organized? How do you kind of keep track of the ins and outs and what, where everyone is? How do you stay organized and on top of that?
1: Well, if, if somebody had to ask me a weakness, I would definitely say it's my organization be, as far as, you know, I don't know, paperwork. And I, I have things done on time. I, I tell everyone that I'm working about a half a day ahead of myself at all times. But as far as organizing paraprofessionals, I feel like Mindy and I have, we have it figured out. And I have had other principals come to me and ask, you know, outside of my building, ask how we do it and to teach their staff, how to do it. So I do feel like we have, um, a very good system. And that is, you know, when we make the schedule at the beginning of the year, it looks like a Tetris board, you know, it's got all the different colors, (laughs) everything's overlapping. It's just a nightmare of, um, you know, a spreadsheet. But once we get that complete, we, we will take each person's schedule. So nine schedules, and we'll type them out on a paper, um, a Google doc. And then on that last column, we do it We do it in a table form. The last column says cover. And so whenever we, um, and then we print each each teacher's schedule on a different color. So we all have our own color and we color coordinate everything. And so whenever we're gone, whenever somebody has to be gone, then we're able to fill in an empty, and I, I can have you attach this template that I use we fill in an empty cover sheet. And so it says on the left, it has all of our names. In the middle, it just has empty boxes. And that's where the coverage is going to go. And then on the right, it has a place where we need to contact any general education teachers and let them know what's going on. So say I'm gone, then Mindy would look at my orange sheet and she could look and see who's going to cover me for my second block, who's going to cover me for my third block, who's going to cover me for my lunch duty. And then we, we fill all that out and then we just send it on to our as using GroupMe. We use the GroupMe app a lot to communicate um, everything. And so we send that out and then everyone knows where everyone is supposed to be. And our our days look different, completely different. I mean, it. I can't even count on one hand how many times our schedule has stayed consistently from the beginning of the year. And so it's, I had to have some way to, to, um, Streamline it, I guess, and make sure that we had a system in place of when people are going to be gone. And so it's been so helpful. We've been doing this for five years now, and I can't imagine I don't even remember what it was like before I used a system like this. But I, I have you know, I have the the template and everything, and so you can just link it in the show notes. And then if anybody wants to know exactly you know what it looks like, I do have that within my course. Um, oh, good nice. to to train exactly what I'm talking about. Good.
0: Yes, I can definitely link that and the course. Um, right now, you have a wait list. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's just we're just not open right now. Um, we open every, you know, a couple times a year, just because I, you know, I want to be able to give my time and energy back to the people who are going through the course, and I don't have that so much during the school year. So probably this summer I will reopen that.
0: Yeah, that'll be perfect. That way people can um, download, you know, your template. But if they're interested in the waitlist, they could join that now. That way the next time it opens, they'll receive emails letting them know that. So that would be wonderful. Um, I'm curious. Okay, when you talk about coverage. So if somebody, if you're going to be gone and you mentioned, you know, your second block or your third block or your lunch duty, So is somebody covering all of that? Or sometimes even we, especially last year, like when we had teachers and staff quarantine, we sometimes were like, what is the, this has to get done. Somebody has to take so-and-so to lunch and carry her tray. So-and-so has to get X, you know, this student in from recess because he's never going to come in on his own. You know, are those the kinds of things or are you literally covering your whole day?
1: No, those are the kinds of things, and we'll work from the most significant down. And if we can cover everything, then we'll cover everything. But we we generally cannot cover inclusions um, unless it's a severe case where, you know, it's an an autistic child who has to is you know capable of being an in inclusion but has to have someone in there with him. Um, but generally, it's, like you said, those things that absolutely need covered. And then it's our kids who, like our resource kids, you know, learning disabilities and reading or math, if we can combine those groups with, with another group, just so that we're providing the minutes, that's that's the kinds of things I'm talking about.
0: Yes, that's perfect. I think that's a wonderful idea. And if it's done at the beginning of the year, or whenever you make that schedule change, then it's not like, oh man, she's gonna be out for two weeks. What are we gonna do? It's already covered. It's already there. And you know who's going to do it. Or you're not you're not sending a text message at four in the morning like, hey, my child woke up throwing up, you know, can you cover my bus duty today? There's just a plan for it. That's wonderful.
1: And we did just go through that. We had out of seven, we had three paras here this past week. And so it was It was a nightmare, but we, you know, we managed and, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem so hard when you have a system to take care of it.
0: Yeah, I think that's genius. We were kind of in the same boat all for different reasons this week. It was not just COVID. We also have um, a teacher who her son had his tonsils out, just, you know, all the things that were all moms and wives and things happen. And also COVID. And so we were just really short this week and we literally listed it on the board. Okay. So-and-so gets kids off the bus. She's not here. I'll do that. You know, But having it laid out in advance would be so much smarter. (laughs) How do you keep track of data? It feels like you're so organized in so many ways, whether you give yourself credit or not. How do you keep track of data, especially amongst all your paras? Do they help you with that?
1: Um, no, they, they would if I were to ask them to, and they, I guess I do if they have a, a child who, um, you know, I plan everything for them and, you know, the centers and everything. So sometimes I will have data sheets in the centers that they have to take that on and they're trained on how to do that. But for the most part, um, I've just tried so many different ways over the years, but I just always go back to the path of least resistance and I have a, an IEP binder and it has, um, each kid has their own section, and it has their their goal sheets, and it has all of the probes or anything that I need to keep data on them, and I just, you know, I put it on my calendar when I need to take data, and I just usually make it happen myself.
0: That's good, I, and I'm kind of that way. I don't know if it's because I'm a control freak. I don't know if it's because I like to see what they do, and I like to analyze how they decoded that word. I like to just see what they're doing so I don't know which is the real reason I do it myself but I usually do do as well
1: well I was doing it you know I was trying to do the the plebs for the new IEP and I was like can this child write their name you know this is a while back and I'm like I should really know that I should really make sure that I'm taking that data I don't want to just depend on on my staff to always have to do that
0: yeah, and sometimes, too, even just your anecdotal notes add to your present level so that you really can describe what they're doing and strengths and weaknesses or good coping strategies, whatever it was that helped them do that. I, I do think it's good to do it yourself. Not that you have to do it all yourself. Um, there are certainly teachers who have great systems where their paras are helping them, but I think it goes down to me being a control freak. Um <laughs> Um, how do you communicate with general ed teachers, your um, parents, administration? How do you kind of manage all that communication?
1: Well, I usually, with parents, I, I'm totally text. Um, I'm totally in favor of texting. I know that a lot of teachers aren't comfortable with giving that phone number out um, for different reasons, but I've never had a reason. I've never been burned on it, and I've never um, felt that they took advantage of it so i i text my parents a lot and for me it's i get that immediate response whereas if you send a note or an email it might be days or never you know that they see it and <laughs> right. so i like that i like to be able to instantly get a hold of them when i need them and then for for teachers and administrators it's usually email or texting and i feel like we have a really good staff and i feel like because we have taken care of them throughout the years that they take care of us and so we have a good relationship and we're able to you know respond appropriately when needed.
0: That's good. I text my parents too and some teachers are just appalled that I would even do that but I I told myself when I started teaching I would do it until it bit me in the butt and it has not in 10 years bit me in the butt yet so I just keep doing it but I agree it is much easier and I would much rather from my child's teacher receive a text so that I can like handle a situation right then or schedule a meeting or, or whatever in the moment. Like that's, you know, that's my preference as a teacher and a parent. So until somebody complains or drives me crazy at three in the morning or something, I'm doing it. Um, do you have any books or things that you would recommend for resource room teachers?
1: You know, I I love to read, but if I'm reading these days, I'm reading to learn more about how to be a better leader and how to improve myself. So I don't really read to learn the, you know, aspect of teaching special education. I feel like I have had that under control. But a book that has really helped me be a better leader within my department and throughout my school, I do a lot of leadership roles within my school. And so the book Shifting the Monkey by Todd Whitaker has really helped me a lot. It's helped me see that, you know, other people's issues did not need to become my own issues. And I've always been the person who's responsible and hardworking and cooperative, but not everyone is like that. And I have, I had to learn that that isn't my problem and I didn't have to fix their problems. And so I learned how to improve my leadership skills by focusing on the people who were like-minded, you know, and for, you know, rewarding them and taking care of them. And then the other things, I wasn't giving the power to the ones who weren't, you know, who didn't want to follow along. So that that book, I know it's just really helped me a lot with the leadership aspect.
0: But I like that because that is something, you know, so many teachers will read a book about a new idea for teaching reading or teaching math or phonics, or you will read all those books and love it. But leadership is a big part of our job and it's neglected so much of the time, you know? So I think that's a great recommendation. Um, Did Todd Whitaker also write several other books? I'm thinking he wrote like what great principals do differently and mm-hmm. what great teachers do differently. Didn't he write those as well? Yep. Okay. That's him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I'm sure it is a amazing book. Yeah, it is. Okay. Now I'm going to end with just a silly question. And I've asked everyone so far on my interviews, do you have an embarrassing teacher story that you're also willing to share on a podcast?
1: <laughs> I've had a lot of embarrassing stories over 27 <laughs> years, I think. But um, one thing, I guess I, I responding to to emails, you know, when we first got Google responding reply all instead of reply,
0: oh, yeah. got me in a little
1: bit of trouble, yeah, with um, being, being sarcastic, and so I've learned to not be so sarcastic, but yeah, that did get me in a little bit of trouble, and was embarrassing, but I think the fact that I wore two completely different shoes to a district training oh, with gosh. the superintendent and directors and principals and teachers from all across the district, and yeah, I've never lived that one down. So that would probably be my most <laughs> the embarrassing. Ultimate,
0: right? Because they won't let you forget it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, people keep sending me pictures every, you know, every so often of that. So
0: I just saw a meme on uh, Facebook. I think it was maybe yesterday. And it was like, When I, you know, you're tired when you wear the wrong shoes or mixed match shoes. So I convinced my students it was National Mixed Match Shoe Day, and then the kids fell for it. So it's great if you're in the classroom, if you're in a district training, though.
1: Yeah. (laughs) They don't. So when I had my teacher of the year visit, and, you know, my team came to my district and we had all of the kids in the school participating. They got all of the school, oh. all of the kids within the school wore different shoes oh, yeah, in honor gosh. of me. So,
0: yeah, that's hilarious.
1: At least I'm memorable for something. That's what I, guess. I was just
0: They're not forgetting you, <laughs>
1: <laughs> right?
0: And the fact that you let them poke fun at you just shows you're meant for special ed, right? Like you can roll with it. Yep. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Thank you so much for being here today. You're wonderful and such an asset to my listeners. And so I would love for you to tell people where they can find you. You're on TPT. You have courses, podcasts, a blog. Where, Where can they find you and what will they find when they go there?
1: Well, again, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, They can find me at spedprepacademy.com, and that'll lead them to just about everything. Um, You know, I just, my work, everything that I do is to support teachers in working with their paraprofessionals. And, you know, I do have products on TPT for all different kinds of things, but the The para aspect is my favorite, and it's what I promote, and it's it's usually what I'm talking about on social media. And so I'm on Instagram as Sped Prep Academy, Facebook, everything. So, you know, just find me there.
0: Yes, and I did a little stalking before I interviewed you because it – and it's amazing. Like, I could have scrolled and scrolled and read and read because it's just so much – and about a topic that is a real issue. It's a real – thing the success or the failure of your program really hinges on the people that are working with you and so just kind of growing and stretching that muscle I think would really really help teachers so definitely definitely something that people need to check out no thank you yes thank you and you have a great day thanks so much for being here with me
1: (laughs) we'll talk to you later
0: bye Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.